We've tried to be very smart about how you put the plan together. Obviously had an off season this year, so that was different, but feel like the guys have a good understanding of what we're doing on all three sides of the ball. Now's the time to compete. This is the Coach Kevin Stefanski Show. Tonight is your chance to get a detailed peek behind the scenes from team headquarters in Berea, and you'll find out how the Browns are prepping for this week's game. This is the University Hospital's Cleveland Browns Radio Network. Jerry. Good evening and welcome to the final Kevin Stefanski show of the 2022 Cleveland Browns season all along the University Hospital's Cleveland Browns radio network. Bittersweet to be sure. Nathan Zagura alongside, as always, the three-time, three-time, three-time Super Bowl champion, Gerard Cherry. And Gerard, first of all, great to be with you. And obviously, we're going to get into what happened with the Browns and the Commanders. We're going to preview the Steelers. But the biggest story, really, in the sports world is what happened on Monday Night Football with DeMar Hamlin. And for those who have not heard, I think it's very important to lead off with the the latest update, which is very, very good news about DeMar Hamlin from the physicians caring for him at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. He has shown remarkable improvement over the past 24 hours. While still critically ill, he has demonstrated he appears to be neurologically intact. His lungs continue to heal, and he is making steady progress. He has been able to communicate through writing. He is holding hands of people who come into the room. And the first question he asked when he regained consciousness was, did we win? The doctors replied, yes, you won at the game of life, DeMar. Gerard, obviously a terrifying scene on Monday night. We've kind of all been waiting and waiting and waiting for an update like this. We finally got it today. Yes, and that is very reassuring to get that update and to hear him ask Nathan, more concerned about the game, and that tells you what type of person he is, what type of teammate he is, that he is on his deathbed, literally, and he's asking about, the outcome of a football game, which shows you what type of, again, teammate he is. And that's just so encouraging to hear that. A lot of people around the country, heck, the world even, are excited to hear that news because, again, it's a beautiful game. But, yes, it's a violent game, and you don't want anyone to have to depart this planet in that manner and fashion which he was facing. But thankfully and thank God that the physicians and the training staff, as well as he, have on the process of recovering and healing, and they've done a great job of helping him in that regard. But great news, excited about it, and I'm pretty sure that will give his teammates, as well as the Bengals, some sense of ease and ability to probably go out here and play on Sunday because of that news. You're exactly right. We heard from Josh Allen earlier today. He finally was able to talk about it, and you could feel the positivity. DeMar Hamlin's father addressed the Bills team, gave them the good news today, and obviously not out of the woods yet. Uh, but uh, certainly trending in the right direction. It's been remarkable. And obviously this was a very touch-and-go situation, and you mentioned it. You have got to give so much love, so much respect to the physicians of the Buffalo Bills, the paramedics that were on site. DeMar Hamlin had to be shocked back to life once. Then he lost his pulse again. They had to perform CPR, get him back a second time, and they saved his life. Had they not acted that quickly, not assessed the situation, and acted and delivered, obviously, on what they needed to do to save 
save him. This would be a very, very different story with a very different ending that would be a tragedy. And, you know, people prepare for things like that their whole lives. I talked to some of the Browns doctors. They, you know, were in awe of what happened but understood that if it was them, they would have done the same thing. You train for this. You go through the scenarios. It's obviously very different, though, when you have to do it. So a tip of the cap to everybody who played a role in saving this young man's life and, and where we are here today. It's, it's kind of incredible. I mean, a lot of people would say, and I talked to my good friend who's the, the head of pediatric cardiology at the clinic, if you're going to have an event like that, there are two places you want to be. One, in a hospital uh, on the cardiology floor, or two, at a National Football League game because of the amount of doctors, the fact that they've got all the equipment, they've got everything there. And for DeMar Hamlin, the fact that they were able within less than a minute to get him back, it's it just incredible. It certainly is. And again, give credit to those guys. And we obviously can't say enough to thank them for what they did and just showing you the level of preparation that they were prepared to administer. You talking about what, eight and a half, nine and a half minutes of delivering yes. CPR? And in a scene in which you have – football players around you and everything is just chaotic and crazy, but those guys stepped up and obviously we're happy to hear this news and it's just not going to put a damper on the rest of this season. Cause had it went the other way, I'm pretty sure yeah. that would have just set in and the season that's been a great one for football would have been more remembered about what took place in Cincinnati, as opposed to what's been going on around the league. No, you're right about that. And, and, and it, you know, listen, when you come down to matters of life and death, right. Football takes a, a very distant backseat, as it absolutely should. So great news there from DeMar Hamlin. Look, there's no way to transition from that to anything else. So we're just going to go from talking about DeMar Hamlin, talking about the Cleveland Browns, who went into Washington. Gerard played a commander's team that was playing for its playoff life, although its coach apparently was unaware of that fact. And they went in there, and while it was kind of, scary in the first half, certainly offensively. The defense had the two takeaways, gave up just one drive. In that second half, Gerard, I think from the beginning of the third quarter, the defense gets a stop, the Browns score, another stop, Browns score. They give up a field goal, Browns score. That may have been the best quarter and a half of football, quarter and three quarters of football that this Browns team has played all year. You were on the sidelines. What did you see? What changed? And, and, and what was your assessment of the performance by this team, all three phases, over that kind of quarter and a half period? Yeah, from a complimentary football standpoint, it was yeah. the best. And what you love about it, Nathan, in regards to complimentary football, sometimes that entails what? That you are not necessarily clicking on all cylinders. All three phases may not be operating, but what you had take place in the first half. Defense, to their credit, and this was not the story that could really be told of the narrative of the defense throughout the course of the season. But they had situations where they were doing their job. Matter of fact, you give the offense two turnovers and you only got three points to show for it, yep. you have plenty of reasons to be frustrated, angry, upset, and mad and say, you know what, what are we playing for? What are we doing? It doesn't even matter because it's not like we're going to go to playoffs. But to the defense's credit, they kept fighting. And on the sideline, here's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for finger pointing. I'm looking for name calling. And I'm looking for dismay and disgust. And guess what? I got none of those things from a visual standpoint. Guys were sticking to it. Guys were staying together. Guys were still encouraging each other. And as we took it to the second half, we came out, offense started firing on all cylinders, getting the job done and getting in the end zone. Special teams was maintaining and doing what they needed to do from an extra point standpoint as well as a field goal standpoint. And then you had a situation where the defense and the offense just showed you what could be from a, what happens when all three phases play together and on this common goal of trying to win a football and all the guys are invested in it from a mental 
an emotional standpoint. It was a superb effort and one of the better ones, and I'm fair to say probably the best effort we've seen this season for our football team. Yeah, no, well, look, all we wanted to see was Deshaun Watson get it going. Second half, he goes 6 of 10 for 146 yards, three touchdowns, a quarterback rating of 148.3. And, Gerard, it all started really with a play on the sideline right in front of you. He throws a speed out to Amari Cooper, gives a little move to the inside, spins back outside, steps out of a tackle, gone. And it felt like it was they were just waiting for some break, right? And then once that happened, the floodgates opened. You score touchdowns on your next two drives. Watson finds Donovan Peoples-Jones also on a third down as the Amari Cooper In one the red was. zone. In the red zone, which was a play they knew they had dialed up. And then he finds Amari Cooper for 33 yards for the third score of the game. But did, it, did you get a sense that once that first went in, it kind of let everybody relax a little bit, kind of like a shooter finally seeing the ball go in, and then all of a sudden you get in the zone? That's a great way to describe it, Nathan, because I think that's exactly what took place because although the woes there had been taking place, if you think about it, in the red zone, the inability since Deshaun came back to Houston game as far as missed opportunities in the red zone, it led up to that first half against the Commanders. And finally, you had a situation where it wasn't in the red zone, but you're in an open field. Coop makes a play. And I just got to say this real quickly. I mean, there are a lot of people out there who are dissenters of Deshaun Watson and don't want to give him any credit. But I'm here to tell you from a defensive back standpoint and perspective, rather, that throw he made was a tremendous throw. Yep. The man was on the other side of the football field, threw to the other sideline at an angle with speed, with accuracy, and with velocity, that's what we call an NFL quarterback next-level throw. So for all those people out there who want to say, oh, yeah, Coop did a phenomenal job, and Coop did that hurt, which is even more impressive. But you can't get it done without the throw itself. So, again, that showed me signs that Deshaun Watson is on the path to much success, and I'm very encouraged by what I saw. But I totally agree with your assessment, Nathan, that having that play t- take place just took a load off the shoulders of the offense, and they were like, okay, we can <gasps> – Exhale. Now let's go do some more. And they did just that. They certainly did. By the way, you mentioned Amari Cooper. I'm going to get back to Deshaun Watson in a second. But Amari Cooper now nine touchdowns this season, the most by a Cleveland Brown since big play Gary Barnage in 2015, the most by a wide receiver since Josh Gordon in 13 for the Browns. It's also a career high for Amari Cooper. How about this? He's 81 yards away from a career high in receiving yards, 1,190. Uh, if he gets another 100-yard game, it would be a sixth game of the season, the most since Josh Gordon in 2013. If he goes 100 yards with a touchdown, it would be a sixth game set of that, which would tie for the most in Browns history with Josh Gordon again in 2013. And if he catches a touchdown against the Steelers, that would be his 10th on the year. That would be the most by a Brown since Braylon Edwards had 16 back in 2007. But back to Watson, Gerard, there was one play, and it wasn't one of the touchdowns, and and I'm going to ask Kevin Stefanski about it here coming up, that I thought was the most impressive play of the day by Deshaun Watson. And the Browns come up, they got three guys to the left. In the slot in the middle of those three was David Njoku. Pre-snap, they're showing cover three. Middle of the field closed, Mm -hmm. cover three. Browns are running kind of a hitch on the outside with the, the slot fade from the inside. After the ball is snapped, they rotate into a cover two invert. The cornerback on that side of the trio goes to play the deep half. Uh They kick a linebacker out. Watson recognizes this instantly. Where's the hole in the cover two? It's between the safety and the the squatting corner. Right. And throws back shoulder 
to David Njoku, keeping him, A, away from the safety that's coming, but the recognition of that to be able to drive that ball in there because he saw it so clearly, even though that's really not where the ball would normally go Mm -hmm. against that type of a rotation. I'll tell you what, I thought that was impressive. I talked to Alex Van Pelt today. He said that was the most impressive throw of the date for him, and and I think you'll hear from head coach Cubs fans. He was pretty impressed too. When you, as a DB, know that you go with – guys you think you pull one over on the quarterback and then he throws that laser beam into the one hole in the defense uh, I, I just it's disheartening I like, okay I can tell yeah. you exactly what it is it's disheartening because that's the yeah we think we're smarter than you and then we about to trick you and we got you and then when you get got by the gotcha play that you called on defense anticipating that okay when they're in this look here's what we're gonna do to counter that and then because that's pretty much saying okay we're not trusting one well, we believe that Deshaun is not going to make a post-snap adjustment. And obviously he did just that. That right there tells you everything you need to know. Because it doesn't get any harder oh, yeah. than that. They show you something and they hold a disguise all the way to the snap. But you have the ability with a serious pass rush coming your way and a lot at stake at the time to make that play is exactly what we're talking about. But you know what will happen? And I'm sorry that I'm going after the cynics and critics tonight. But they won't see that. They won't analyze it on that level. And they, won't, they don't want to see it on that level. And, it, and Coach Van Pelt is exactly right. You're right in your assessment of the situation. That's next level. That's playing quarterback at a higher level, and that's exactly what you want. And obviously we brought him in here to do just that. Gerard, if those cynics can get on a whiteboard and show cover three pre-snap and then sh- diagram exactly how it switches into a cover two invert post-snap, then they can go ahead and be critical of him, in my opinion. Right, and, and, and the ones who know that, won't be critical because they realize how much of a feat that is to accomplish that. (laughs) You're exactly right. All right, we're on to the Steelers now. Look, an opportunity to play spoiler. We just ended the Commanders' playoff hopes. Chance to end the Steelers' playoff hopes. Chance to sweep the Steelers for the first time since 1988, which would be nice. A chance to beat the Steelers for the fourth time in the last five games. Injury updates, and there are some big ones here. For the Browns, Jack Conklin did not practice. Denzel Ward did not practice with a shoulder I'm not optimistic about Jack Conklin. I am optimistic about Denzel Ward. Ethan Posick was out with an illness. I think he'll be back. But for the Steelers, some notable, notable injuries here. We're going to start with Alex Highsmith, who leads the team with 12 sacks. He was added to the injury report today with an ankle, which means he went in full, could not finish, limited his status on practice report tomorrow. will tell a lot about whether or not he's going to play in this game. Minka Fitzpatrick has not practiced either day this week with an ankle injury, something certainly to keep an eye on. Same with Miles Jack with the groin and Larry Ogunjobi with a toe. So neither that, those three all did not practice on Wednesday or Thursday, so we'll keep an eye on their Friday availability. This is a very good defense. It's a team that's found a way to win, Gerard. That's all you really can say about them. They have won three straight games, five of their last six. They are 6-2 six and two since the bye Kenny Pickett back-to-back games with game-winning drives, but it's all about the defense. And with T.J. Watt back, they are one of the very best, Gerard, in this league. And so the Browns certainly will have to deal with that. Real quick, go ahead, Gerard. Yeah, and T.J. Watt is obviously the catalyst because prior to him being winning while he was gone, rather, while he was gone, they struggled. They didn't have that same identity. When he came back, what did they start to do? They started to win football games. So a lot of that 2-6 and record that they had early on, was a mask during the time that he was on the sideline nursing an injury. So now that he's back, they've been playing next level. And they're still not the Steelers of the past, but I must say, Nathan, in respect to them, that I'm shocked and surprised at the record that they do have. Absolutely. Considering starting a rookie quarterback and other things that have been going on through the course of the season with that football team. But as Mike Tomlin says, they have a standard, and they're trying to live up to it. But with that being said, 
I'm excited about this game because I do believe this. If we play the way that we played against the Commanders, we will beat the Steelers. You're exactly right. That would be the first time in 18 years that the Steelers would finish the season with a non-winning record, a losing record. By the way, to your point real quick, with Watts 7-2, and two, without him 1-6, and six, he is worth 8 points a game on defense and 103 yards per game. Also, the team has three times more sacks with Watt, three times more takeaways with T.J. Watt on the field as well. When we come back, we are going to go around the league here. You are listening to the Kevin Stefanski Show on the University Hospital's Cleveland Browns Radio Network. I feel like I have people in the building that can tell me the truth. And I think that's really important because I don't want this to be a place where I don't get the truth from our guys. This is the Coach Kevin Stefanski Show. You're listening to the University Hospital's Cleveland Browns Radio Network. Here are your hosts, Nathan Zagura and Gerard Cherry. Fans, mark your calendars for Faceoff on the Lake, presented by Meyer, the first major outdoor hockey game at First Energy Stadium. On February 18th, the Ohio State Buckeyes will host the Michigan Wolverines right here at First Energy. Tickets are on sale now, starting at just $12. For more information, visit firstenergystadium.com slash faceoff or call 440-891-5050. All right, Gerard, as we get ready for this game with the Steelers, we're quickly going to do a little stock up and step up. Whose stock is up for you? Gerard Cherry. If you had to play the middle linebacker position on the Cleveland Browns, your stock is certainly up for me. So let me give some guys some props like Deion Jones, Reggie Ragland, and Jermaine Carter, as well as Fields is balling too, man. So if you're in the linebacker position, this last week you stepped up. Guys were making tackles. Guys were having oomph with those tackles as well. Did a much better job. One of the best jobs I think I've seen against the running game this year. So other than the Bengals game. So for the middle linebackers, stock up. Yeah, Jermaine Carter, six tackles a season high for him. Tony Fields, a team high, nine tackles. He's got 18 in the last two games. Ragland was out there physical. He had a couple of tackles. And then Deion Jones, four tackles, a tackle for loss. And great coverage on that Tampa, too, running the seam with Curtis Samuel that led to the Grant Delpit interception off of Carson Wentz. All right, for me, stock up. I'm going to go with Grant Delpit. I think he's. I think a star is, is is being born right in front of our very eyes, folks. You have to remember, this is really only his second season. I know it's his third year in the league, but he missed his entire first year with that Achilles injury he suffered in training camp. This is his second year really playing the position. Four interceptions, he leads the team. 103 tackles, he leads the team. He's got 10 passes defensed. 10 and four mm-hmm. tackles for loss. So you're talking about a guy with over 100 tackles for the first time. You're talking about a guy with four interceptions. And for somebody that in the early portion of the season struggled in coverage, you look at it now, he's only giving up a 75 rating when targeted this season. That is good, good stuff. Very elite Grant Delpit stock. To the moon! <laughs> All right, who's got to step up against the Steelers? Well, you, when you look at the offensive side of the ball, I'm going to say the offense has to step up because ultimately I believe the defense matches up extremely well against this football team. But I'm looking for Deshaun Watson to step up. I'm looking for him to take on the Steelers for the first time in a Browns uniform and lead us to the path towards victory. And with that, that's going to require the offensive line doing their job, guys catching passes, Nick Chubb doing what he does along with Kareem Hunt, as well as Ford doing what he does as well. So that's for me. The idea is that they have to step up. You're exactly right. For me, step up. It's going to be, I'm going to go more specific on the line. If Jack Conklin doesn't play in this game, Mm-hmm. And I think it is, it's, it's trending that way. We'll see. Hopefully he can, he can gut it out. He's been spectacular this season. James Hudson. Remember that Monday night game last year? James Hudson struggled certainly with T.J. Watt certainly in that he one. Did, right. He had four sacks. James Hudson has come a long way yes, since he then. Has. 
The first two weeks of the season, he started at right tackle. He did not give up a single sack. And so, James Hudson, here's an opportunity to get into the spotlight and to show that, yeah, I can be a starting I can be a starting tackle in this league and for this team, Gerard. And that was, uh, the irony of that is incredible, Nathan, if you think about it. He's going to likely get to start, and I've watched him throughout the course of the season when he's done spot duty. And even last week, he did some impressive things against Young. So this is an opportunity because obviously last year he got dominated. In this in the situation, yep. and that left a bad taste in some coaches' mouth, probably to trust him in that spot. But he's made an immense level of progress, and I've been impressed with what I've, what I've seen him. At times, I was like, "Hey, you might want to consider putting him in there when other guys were struggling at the tackle spot," because I thought he did so well in spot duty. So I'm looking forward to this. I hope and pray, Nathan, for his sake, that he embraces this. He doesn't go into the mentality of fear and failure and worry about oh. making mistakes. But you know what? It's more of anything angry about what took place last year, knowing that he can be better than that, and he plays better. So you're exactly right for someone who's going to have to step up because right now, you know what T.J. Watt's doing? He's looking at the film from last year saying, yeah, I'm about to do this dude. Yeah, and he would – listen, T.J. Watt, okay, I talked about it going into the break. T.J. Watt so far for this team, they're 7-2 and two with him, 1-6 and six without. 17.2 points per game with him, 25.3 without. 286 yards a game with him, 389 without 25 sacks in nine games with him, eight sacks in seven games without him, 16 takeaways in nine games with him, five in seven games without him. By the way, he has been very good against the Browns. He has 14 and a half sacks in nine career games, second most for any opponent in the NFL since the start of the 2017 season. Cam Jordan of New Orleans has 15 against Atlanta, but T.J. Watts missed the last two games that the Browns and the Steelers have played. So, yes, James Hudson, you have an opportunity to put some tape out there if Jack Conklin's unable to go that will certainly resonate if you can handle T.J. Watt in this one. In football, making a big hit after the whistle can be huge trouble. Knowing when to stop is critical for football players and for gamblers. So always set a time limit before gambling and keep things fun. Learn more at keepitfunohio.com. When we come back, I sit down with the Browns head coach, Kevin Stefanski. You are listening to the Kevin Stefanski Show on the University Hospital's Cleveland Browns Radio Network. For me, I'm just trying to make the right decision for each of our players. This is the Coach Kevin Stefanski Show. You're listening to the University Hospital's Cleveland Browns Radio Network. Welcome back to the Kevin Stefanski Show, all along the University Hospital's Cleveland Browns Radio Network. Joined now by the head coach of your Cleveland Browns coming off of a win that ended the season for the Washington Commanders in Washington, a game they wanted to have. They did not get it. And Coach, let's start with this. My opinion, thought that was the best third quarter, kind of quarter and a half from the third into the middle of the fourth, and then at that point we kind of shut it down offensively. That maybe we played as a football team all three phases this year. What'd you think? Yeah, I think that's fair. And, and that, you know, you go on the road and you're playing good teams, and, and you got to play a team game. You got to play a complete game. And I thought, uh, obviously, our defense played really, really well throughout. Really, one drive that that we gave up there, uh, but kept the offense in it, kept our team in it, and then the offense uh, obviously responded there in the third quarter. Let's talk about it. That had to be a nice feeling for you, a nice relief for you, the players. And it, it started with that good ball, a little speed out to Amari Cooper, breaks a tackle, and that kind of opened the floodgates for you there. But how did that quarter kind of feel, the rhythm you were able to get into? Yeah, I mean, we needed it because we really had opportunities in the first quarter, and we were just – there was a we we're off, and we we're off in, in a bunch of different areas. And, and when you're off, you're not going to have precision in the pass game, and that's really was the bugaboo for us. Uh, but then to – obviously, then the, the flip side of, of that is you, you – then all of a sudden you're on, and, and the throws are there, the routes are there, the protection's there, um, and that really was 
was a, a, a great thing to see in terms of Amari making plays, a bunch of different guys getting the ball in their hands and making plays in their secondary. And I think you hit on something right there. It takes all 11. We talked about a lot in the run game, but in the pass game too, because your first trip to the red zone, you had that kind of angle route. I think it was, I don't remember if it was DPJ or Amari. It was open. Yeah, it was Amari. And we just couldn't get him the football, and it was a, would have been a walk-in touchdown, and instead that ends up being an empty drive for us. Yeah, and, and again, I mean, you're going up against a really good front, not, not to say that it's easy, uh, so you're going to have moments like that. But, uh, you know, for us, we're just trying to have precision in what we're doing, run and pass. Uh, and it's and you mentioned it. It does take eleven guys. You think about the run game. One guy misses their block and and can turn into a zero yard run. And you say, well, if he got his job done, that would have gone. So, that's what the strive for us certainly offensively is to be about the details, know exactly what we need to do, and then try and go do it. Uh, and going to do it against good football teams, and, and including this week. Uh, this is it's way easier said than done. I, you can draw the play up on the board and it looks good, but uh, you got to go out there and be able to do it against some really good players. I want to talk about a couple of plays that I thought were, were really kind of fun in, in, in that game. The first was Deshaun's run. We had been, you know, Warren Shotgun, we like to run that kind of pin pull across the formation if the back's on the left. And then you gave him that look. They thought it was going there, but you actually pulled the front side back and kept it for Deshaun. Ended up picking up, I think, 22 yards on that play. What kind of led to that design? And, and obviously, I'm sure you're pleased with the way that it was executed. Yeah, I think Deshaun's had a ton of success in his career, college pro, on designed runs. And a lot of those designed runs, he has a read key. And he's reading that key, and the, the ball may go to the back. Uh, he may pull it and run. He may throw it at times. So it's just diving into those type of concepts that, allow him to make decisions with the ball in his hands, which he's done a very, very good job of. Uh, and, even, and a small detail, but the ball handling on, on that play and on those type of plays, you have to be great with the running backs, great with the quarterback, and because that ball can go in either person's belly, so to speak. So I thought he made some really nice decisions. That play in particular was blocked really, really well, got the look we thought we would get, uh, and then he did a nice job. That, that's a play that you, you really see across the NFL. You see it in high school games. It's uh, their proliferation of quarterback design runs it, is out there in our game and it's something that we're exploring as you see and then you kind of built off that in a way on the touchdown where it's kind of a play action you pulled Batonio and then actually had him block the end there in space you obviously got the look you want on that Amara I talked to him yesterday he said as soon as I was like five steps into my route I knew I was going to be wide open and that was going to be a good one so what was kind of that design and how did that come to be yeah just moving the pocket and and there's different ways to move the pocket obviously you have your keeper game uh, which you're trying to get on the edge but sometimes teams don't allow you to so this is a way to move the pocket with protection so you have a tight end on the front side who can chip an end. And then you mentioned Joel bringing Joel across to block it. You know, on that play, they fired the nickel. And Nick Chubb, again, talking about Huge. the details, did his job. Hey, Nick, if they blitz off this backside, you got him. They blitz, Nick blocks him. And when you do that defensively, you better get home because that does end up leaving a lot of air in your secondary. And I thought that's what we took advantage of. All right. So the play that got me the most fired up was not a touchdown. But it just showed to me, like, all right, Deshaun is feeling it. He's seeing it. So we had, I think, three to the left, Chief in the slot. They run a, a cover two invert, basically. He recognized it, throws it into the hole in the cover two, back shoulder away from the safety, which was actually the corner. But I thought that was just awesome. Yeah, that was big time. And, and what was so impressive about that is that, that throws from the far hash. And that where that ball went to Dave versus that coverage, you would never – think the ball is going there it's not designed to go there but they did a nice job in their disguise and Deshaun what he did was he trusted his eyeballs and you can say hey versus cover two we're not thinking this inside fade but 
hey, it's cover two, albeit a designer cover two, a different way to get to cover two. And there's air here. There's space here for our inside fade route, which we did not think was going to be there. And he said, well, he's open. I'm going to drive it on him. And to have the ability, the skill level in his arm strength to be able to drive that, for Dave to have the the wherewithal to get his eyes back and feel that zone and and start to gear in that zone, uh, that was a really important play for us to make in that drive. So when you're on the sideline, you call a play because you say sometimes we get a look like in the red zone, the touchdown to DPJ. What Deshaun said after the game is like, we'd run that play. We knew if we got that look, it was going to work. And it did. He made it look like, you know, and then came back to DPJ for the touchdown. But for one like that, for example, pre-snap, you probably are thinking, all right, here's where I think based on what they're doing, what they're showing, what this play is, here's where I think the ball is going to go. And then all of a sudden they rotate out of it. He sees it, rips it to the back shoulder. Or are you just like, oh, Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously with with quarterbacks, you know, you want to just give them plays that they see, that that they trust. Uh, And then there's a little bit of, hey, I I think they're going to play this coverage based on this down the distance. I think they're going to play this coverage, so let's call this play. And the the truth is there are some plays that are pure progressions or you hear they're all everything bagels. Like, all right, this play is good versus all coverages. You're going to progress through. There's other plays where you say, all right, we're really hunting up this progression. If we don't get it, we're going to check it down. With Deshaun and, and, the, and really good quarterbacks, what you do is you just call the plays that they're comfortable with and you – get this feeling that they're going to make it work. Uh, Now, that, again, goes back to taking all 11. It's not one person to do that. But when you have a quarterback that's comfortable with a play that knows where everybody is, can can know how to snap back to a check down, can know, all right, I'm going to have this route. I feel really good about this matchup. I'm going to let it rip. But it's really their comfort level overall with that concept. All right. We talked a lot about him. Grant Delpit had a great game. You mentioned that the D played a great game. And we're having so much fun talking ball. we got to get to this Steelers game. Big game for them opportunity for us to do something that hasn't happened since 1988 and that is sweep them in a season obviously that's a big deal Browns have won three of the last four but you talk about this offense this is going to be a test this defense since they've gotten TJ Watt back 17 points a game 286 yards a game 25 sacks 16 takeaways they're seven and two with him and really they're top five in the league in every category since he's come back what challenges do they present and what are they doing differently other than having TJ Watt from the first time that we played them yeah, obviously they're playing at a high level as a team, certainly as a defense. Uh, Watt looks like he always does. Uh, you know, it's it's not like a guy coming off of an injury that doesn't look like himself. He looks like himself. So they're they're doing what they do, uh, which is they, they really play their defense at a high level. They're stopping the run. Uh, they're pressuring the quarterback, uh, like you mentioned, and they're doing a nice job in, in the back end. So everything that you get versus a defense like this, you have to earn. Uh, we were very fortunate to be in some manageable third downs in the first game and, and, and converted our third downs at a high clip, which turned into 36 minutes of time of possession. That's, that's the goal versus a team like this, but you are really, really going to have to earn it. So they blitz a lot. You know that Blitzburg, we've always heard that. But it's interesting, their coverage, as I went back and looked from the first time, still a lot of middle field close, one and three. That's their predominant coverage. But they're playing more cover two than I recall them ever playing. They don't really play quarters. So if it's too high, it's either cover two or a cover six type. How do you kind of assess that, deal with that as you go through kind of preparing for their scheme? Yeah, that's definitely in their DNA. You know, Coach Tomlin came from Tampa Bay uh, before we worked together in Minnesota. Coach Tomlin came from Tampa Bay where he's with Monty Kiffin and the the Tampa 2. So that's very much in their DNA, something that you have to be ready for on third down. And they played a lot of it on first and second down, really by down and distance, by what they're trying to take away. They'll they'll play it more in certain games than others, but it's definitely part of uh, what they do. 
Speaking of Tampa, too, how about Deion Jones running the seam and, and Grant coming from his landmark across to get the first of his two picks in that one in the game against Commanders? Yeah, great play by Deion to just run through it and, and protect it. And then really our, our Grant was the, the frontside safety made the play. Our backside safety in that type of play should be able to overlap as well uh, where you converge on the ball. But, you know, with Grant – uh, as impressive as that one was, the second one, just to track Nuts. it over your shoulder, yeah. get your feet down, that's hard for receivers to do, and, and he did a great job. And he said he had lost the ball for about five yards. He didn't see it for about five yards and then picked it back up, gets it in, gets his feet there with MJ there. Yeah, very impressive. Coach, this is going to be a fun one. They've played seven straight games that have been one-score games of the Steelers. It's going to be a tight game. Guys ready for that. I know you're excited about it. And it's going to come down to, hey, we have a chance to end their season in a clutch moment, so it's going to be fun. Yeah, we're excited about the opportunity, and when we get, you know, you get one more. We know it's just one more, but we get our rival on the road uh, in a very meaningful game. Coach, thanks so much for the time, and best of luck against the Steelers. Thanks, Nathan. All right, we'll be back with more of the Kevin Stefanski Show all along the University Hospital's Cleveland Browns Radio Network. This is Browns cornerback Denzel Ward. This is Browns wide receiver Donovan Peoples-Jones. This is Joel Batonio, and you're listening to the University Hospital's Cleveland Browns Radio Network. University Hospitals is your hometown medical team and official health care provider of the Cleveland Browns. Welcome back to the Kevin Stefanski Show all along the University Hospital's Cleveland Browns Radio Network. Very happy now to be joined by the Browns' leading receiver. He has six 1,000-yard seasons, including this one, wide receiver Amari Cooper. Amari, oh, you hear the Coop chants come out from Andrew Barry as he walks by there. Let's talk about last week. You guys, first half, it wasn't clicking. All of a sudden, you make a play, taken out to the house, and it just seemed like the floodgates opened. What, what changed after you made that touchdown? Yeah, you know, sometimes it's just the way the cookie crumbles. You know, um, everything's not going to always go as planned, and you have to make adjustments. You know, I, I believe that's what halftime is for. You know, players get, get an opportunity to get a rest. Um, Coaches get an opportunity to come down from the from wherever they're sitting. Some of them uh, who are on the sideline and, and and communicate what they see out there, and we make adjustments and we go out there and uh, and we try to execute the adjustments that we made. So that's what we did. So what were those adjustments? What was kind of the plan going in the second half that you guys were able to execute at such a high level? Yeah, I mean, as far as the first touchdown, you know, they were just playing a lot of off coverage. You know what I mean? So we just ran a route that uh, was great to come back to off coverage, and I was able to. You know, break a tackle and just score. Um, so just things like that. A lot of times when you see that kind of catch on the sideline, the instinct of the receiver is usually to spin back inside. What made you feel like if I spin outside, maybe I can get away from it and then obviously outrun the linebacker for the touchdown? Yeah, I mean, if you see, it was very subtle, but I kind of like gave a, a, a subtle move to the inside. Uh, and he thought I would turn inside, and that was just enough for him to, to miss when I actually turned back outside. So, I mean, it was cool. I mean... I didn't expect I, honestly I didn't expect him to miss that tackle but he did so it was it was hey it's a blessing and then on the second touchdown obviously it was schemed up very well you got them to kind of fall exactly out of the middle of the field like you wanted to take the deep route you were wide open on that one when did you know you were going to get the ball was a pre-snap that you knew okay this has this looks good to me or when you were kind of running that route uh yeah I mean that was just a great um call by coach <laughs> yeah I mean I mean he watches film all week. Uh, he he understands their tendencies. He understands what routes uh, we need to to put in the playbook to combat that. Um, as far as when I knew I was getting the ball, it wasn't really pre-snap because they disguise a lot. Uh, when I was like halfway in the route, then that's when I kind of knew, hey, I'm going to be wide open right here. And then uh, we were past the 50, so I was like, if I get this ball, I'm probably going to score. So. 
And you did. You got right to that pylon, your second touchdown of the day. That gave you nine touchdowns on the season. In Brown's history, that's the most anybody's had. Nine receiving touchdowns since 2015. It was tight end Gary Barnage who went to the Pro Bowl most by a receiver since 2013, Josh Gordon. And also for you, a career high, right? Nine touchdowns. What did that mean to you? And, and did you ever think when you got the call that you were going to be traded here to Cleveland, that you would set your new career high in touchdowns, that you would be going into this game, and it certainly is doable, right? Just around 80 yards away from setting a new career high in receiving yards. Did you think that was going to be the outcome? Yeah, I definitely thought it was on the horizon. You know, I'm always trying to get better every year. You know, the old saying, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. And uh, I certainly just have so much more in the tank, you know what I mean? Especially when I'm healthy. Uh, But, yeah, of course, I mean, I'm going to keep getting better and better. Uh, I train too hard to not get better, um, and I, you know, I, I still feel like I could do all the things that I was able to do when I was a rookie. You know what I mean in terms of my releases, my speed, my route running, uh, my hands. So, yeah, I, 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 to be honest, I expected to do more. You know, coming uh, to the Browns, especially when I found out we were going to have Deshaun. Um, so, yeah, yeah, um, you know, hopefully um, after this game, I could set uh, some more career highs. And then do it again next year and keep going on and on. Because you talked about Deshaun, and you can see that chemistry start to click. The first two games, you were banged up. He was kind of just kind of feeling himself out. But the last three, you guys have really been in good sync. And, and you can see the numbers, the production. And it kind of started a couple games ago for me where he threw that deep out to you from the far hash, which was a hell of a ball, great route by you. And I was like, okay, these guys are on the same page. Have you felt that chemistry build? And do you feel like you're still just scratching the tip of the iceberg? Because you haven't gotten a full off season together and a full season together in games yeah the chemistry is definitely building for sure um you know obviously with Deshaun coming back uh shaking some of the rust off I was just watch- we were just watching film on the game and I mean he did some tremendous things I mean it was it was incredible I mean it's very unfortunate that as soon as he came back the game that he got he came back I got kind of banged up so it was kind of like more so for the fans than it was for me because I know they wanted to see um you know fireworks sure. and that's what I that's what we want to give them um but I'm kind of glad it happened, you know, um, for these last six games that I was banged up when he came to a degree because, um, you know, it challenges me. Uh, You know, sometimes you got to train to be better at your worst than the guy you're going against at his best, and that's a very hard thing to do, but that's what you train for. Um, And so I'm kind of getting that – I'm kind of getting that challenge now, Uh, and it's been – it's been a great challenge for me, you know what I mean? I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I mean, obviously I would rather be healthy, but, you know, if this is the way it has to be, then it's cool. Does it mean something to you when you hear your teammates? Because obviously they know better than anybody what you're actually going through to hear them talk about how courageous it's been for you to go out there to play the way you have and then to still be able to produce the way that you are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a couple of guys on this team has had uh, the injury that I have now. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I've I just been talking to them, um, you know, asking for advice and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, definitely they know what I'm going through. Uh, some of them have played with it. Some of them had, you know, was training with it in the offseason and had to get surgery and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, like I, like I alluded to earlier, you know, um, you got you to try to be better at your worst than the guy you're going against at his best. And I mean, it's 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 a it's a it's a heck of a challenge because it challenges you not just physically but mentally as well. And uh, I'm just up for it. You know what I mean? Everything is not going to be sunny all the time, but you still got to produce. That's that's the name of the game. And uh, you know that's something that I want to do. I want to be productive for my teammates. I want to be productive 
um, for the organization. So. And you were productive even go back to two weeks ago. You think about like how many yards were passed for in that game. It was pretty much the Amari Cooper show really for on both sides. They couldn't throw the ball. It was tough a couple weeks ago in those elements. What was that game like for you? You're a Florida guy. You talk about being cold. You were in pain. It's tough to get loose, obviously, under those circumstances. And you went out there. Was that when you knew, like, all right, I'm starting to click with him, and I know that I can overcome this completely? Yeah, I mean, it, it was tough. It was a t- uh, tough surface. Um, I had never played in it before, so I didn't really know what to expect. Um, Nobody should play it. I mean, it's craziness. Yeah, but it w- I would say it wasn't as bad as it looked. Um, it's just football at the end of the day. Like, the unique thing about a uh, receiver is – Hey, we got to make the play, no doubt about that, but the DB has to guard us, you know. So if it's slippery for me, I can just imagine um, how slippery it is for the guy who's guarding me because I'm, I'm being more proactive. He's been more reactive. So, uh, yeah, I just try to stay positive. So you knew about rivalries. You started your career with the Raiders, obviously. A lot of rivalries in that AFC West. You go to the Cowboys. The Cowboys have rivalries with everybody in that division as well. You come here. This is a division with storied rivalries, Browns, Steelers. And I don't know if you're aware of this or not. It was all before your time. The last time the Browns swept the Steelers in a season was 1988. Yes, a long, long time ago. You guys have an opportunity to do that. What kind of a message would that send to be able to get that sweep, to be able to go four and two in the division and have an opportunity to end the season of a rival? Uh, it's great. I mean, everybody who plays football obviously know about rivalries. You know, we all have our rivalries in high school, college, and then the pros. Um, and the thing about the, the pros, the, riv- the rivalries are so storied, like you just mentioned. You know, we grew up, I remember in high school, just watching the NFL Network and stuff all the time. And I would just watch the different segments that they had. And, uh, you know, they would just talk about how important the rivalry games were, how competitive they were. And the thing about it is that they go down in history. Like maybe someday some kid will be watching uh, me versus the Steelers uh, on NFL Network and get inspired by it. So, um, you know, I, I try to keep stuff like that in mind when I go out there and play uh, just so I can be remembered. You know, who doesn't want to be remembered, you know? Oh, you're going to be remembered. Four-time Pro Bowler, 6,000-yard seasons, and, and many more in the future to come. I just want to say it has been an absolute pleasure getting to know you. It's been a pleasure to watch you work. I appreciate so much the dedication you have to your craft in our past conversations. I find it to be unique, and it's one of the reasons I think you are who you are, natural talent, the work ethic. So thank you so much for what you brought to the Browns, this community, and, and what you do out on the field. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time. And we'll be back with more of the Kevin Stefanski Show all along the University Hospital's Cleveland Browns Radio Network. I feel like I have people in the building that can tell me the truth. And I think that's really important because I don't want this to be a place where I don't get the truth from our guys. This is the Coach Kevin Stefanski Show. You're listening to the University Hospital's Cleveland Browns Radio Network. Be part of one of the most passionate fan bases in the NFL. Join the Brown season ticket member waitlist today for the best chance at securing tickets for all home games in future seasons. Don't miss out. Go to clevelandbrowns.com slash tickets or call 440-891-5050 to reserve your spot today. All right. First of all, you got to love Amari Cooper, right? What he has brought to this football team, chance to have a career high in receiving yards, already has a career high in receiving touchdowns. Very excited and, and very gracious for the time he spends with us and really for the time that he spends honing his craft to be an elite number one, which he is. What a trade by general manager Andrew Barry. All right, keys to victory to hand Mike Tomlin his first losing season. Hand the Steelers their first losing season in 19 years to sweep the Steelers for the first time since 1988. The Browns need to, number one, go back to it, win the turnover battle, have a clean slate, 
The Browns have won every single game this year where they have had a victory in the turnover margin, including last week. I believe they are now 6-0 and in those games, or 5-0, and I'm sorry, in those games. They are not in the rest of them. They are 2-9. and nine. Number two, got to get yourself, you heard Kevin Stefanski say it, manageable third downs on offense, manageable third down distances so that T.J. Watt, Alex Highsmith can't just pin their ears back and get after the quarterback. And then I would say the opposite for us defensively, you got to stop Najee Harris. They're going to come out and really try to run the football with Harris and Warren, get them in to third and longs as it goes. Coming up this Sunday, 9 a.m., Browns game day with Ken Carmen and Gerard Cherry. 11 a.m., Browns kickoff with Ken, Andy Baskin, and Tyvis Powell. 1 o'clock, kickoff with Jim Donovan, the voice of the Browns, myself and Gerard Cherry from Akershire Stadium in Pittsburgh. Big shout-out to Meredith Kane and Jason Gibbs. Thank you to all of you for being with us all year long, listening to the Kevin Stefanski Show all along the University Hospital's Cleveland Browns Radio Network. You've been listening to the Coach Kevin Stefanski Show. Join us next week at this time for more from the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. This broadcast is a copyright of the Cleveland Browns and the National Football League. Any other use of this broadcast, descriptions, or accounts without the prior consent of the NFL is strictly prohibited. This is the University Hospitals Cleveland Browns Radio Network. You're listening to the University Hospital's Cleveland Browns Radio Network.